Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. And I'm joined by my co-host, second year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hey, guys. Fourth year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. DM Wen. Hi, DM. Hi, Dr. Parks. Third year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Edgar Ortega. Hi, Edgar. Hello, Dr. Parks. And second year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, guys. We have a full panel today. We've got a lot of people here today, which is great. Hopefully, we could squeeze in our questions and our, get our time that we need. I think uh, we're because we're all we excited. For about today's the show. guest, yeah. Yeah, and actually I'm really excited that I feel like Biden is gonna win. I just had to slip that in, I'm just really relieved. Uh, I don't really care who knows it, I'm really relieved. Uh, <laughs> on today's show, we are gonna talk about issues surrounding gender affirmation therapies and surgeries, uh, gender dysphoria, um, issues important to the trans community, and we're very happy to have us uh, with us Join, join us uh, again for the show. This is the second time return she's been on the show. Doctor, yes, return guest, Dr. Jamie Woods. Dr. Jamie Woods is a health science clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at the University of California Riverside School of Medicine, and she's vice chair for diversity and inclusion. She was originally a pharmacist by training and she went back to medical school, completed a psychiatry residency and a subspecialty certified in psychopharmacology. She has an academic interest in neurobiology and pathophysiology of schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, autism spectrum disorder, and special interest in gender dysphoria because she is a transgender female and her pronouns are she, her, and her, she, she her, and hers. Uh, thank you, Dr. Woods, for that introduction. Cause I, 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 yeah, I didn't really know all of that, which is great to know. And it, it seems very fitting that, oh, about what we're gonna talk about, gender dysphoria. And uh, you know, everyone just jump in, dive in when you want to. But um, I, I wanna ask just kind of uh, overall, cause we also wanna touch on things that, um, you know, controversial issues as much as possible. But I learned today about puberty suppression. And this is, again, just what it sounds. You're suppressing puberty with different chemicals and medications and things like that. And where do you stand on that? Do you feel like that's a good thing? Do you feel like uh, who, who, who should make that decision? Uh, do you feel like there's research to support it or not? Why do people choose it? Well, first of all, thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Parks, and thanks, guys, for, like I say, having me back. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a controversial issue because of a couple of reasons. Let's say that I'm the physician and the court is asking me for an opinion in the matter of whether this 12-year-old trans girl uh, should have uh, Lupron Depot. It's a GnRH agonist. All that just simply means is it just simply delays puberty for a period of time until such time that she can either turn 18 or the parents can agree on what needs to be done, so on and so forth. And I think that regrettably, this always doesn't come down to an algorithm. Sometimes we have to take a lot of different factors into consideration. Let's say, for example, we have a 13-year-old who walks into my office and she identifies as being transgender. And she is very, very worried about beginning puberty because she knows that her penis is going to enlarge 
and she's going to have testosterone and her testicles are going to enlarge and she's going to start to grow a beard and she's going to start her skin's going to start to get very very oily and this is very dysphoric for her and she just doesn't want this to happen so that's her immediate desire when she comes in what are the parents the desire well the mom seems to be on board but the dad said there is just no way that's my son he's the only male in the family this is my boy and all this stuff has just been put in his head and i am just not going to ever sign my name to anything onto this whatsoever and then another factor to be concerned is well how long has she identified as a transgender female if this is something that she's just come around for the next, you know, maybe six months earlier, then I would have more of a concern than if she first identified when she was four years old in her mermaid costume that she had. So there are a lot of factors that factor into it, certainly. What are the parents' level of understanding of what's going on? Do they think this is some kind of permanent intervention that's going to just destroy and so we have to kind of talk to them and try to get their feelings about what their thoughts are on this so that we'll know where to meet them. And then we can eventually kind of help them understand that it's just, as you had pointed out, Dr. Parks, it's just pubertal, just delaying puberty until we can kind of get a better feel in a situation like that. But the risk Dr. Woods, does, is there any, let's, let's say for that father, um, it, I imagine part of what he's telling himself is, is, you know, uh, at when my kid hits puberty, that there's going to be maybe with the new surge of hormones, they're going to feel their true manliness come in and no longer will have a trans identity. To what extent is that true or not true? Well, Do people change when, when they hit puberty in terms of their trans thinking? Well, no, not necessarily. But I think the thing that I wanted to point out and I want you to ask me the question again, Dr. Atkins, but I think the thing that I was kind of headed to in terms of what would be the cause of not delaying puberty? And for this, you know, for if it's a trans guy, they're going to develop breasts and now they're going to have to have top surgery, which may may not be able to afford to correct something that they could have prevented too as well. So it's the conviction that the young person has too as well that guides us towards this. But absolutely, it's finding out what kind of preconceived um, ideas that maybe in our hypothetical situation that the father has about having, you know, a transgender child. Because what happens is when the child transition, the whole family goes through a transition. Just as the child is going to lose friends, those yeah. parents are going to lose friends too as well. So this is very much a family systems kind of decision that needs to be made. And it really should be made with somebody that has an understanding of family systems, psychotherapy, but also has an understanding of the transgender community too as well to get the optimum outcome. But it's just meeting the dad where he's at, Dr. Atkins, and kind of just kind of allaying any preconceived notions that, you know, they're gonna change when testosterone hits. Well, they'll change, but they'll change probably for the worse dad instead of for the better because that's going to be their worst characteristics that they've identified as coming out. And it's going to be very frustrating for them because they know that this is something that could be prevented too as well. But you've got to be really careful in bringing dad on board. And you've got to, it takes a very nuanced approach and a lot of patience and a lot of wisdom to make that happen. I like that family approach. I think that's great. I, acknowledging that it's a transition for the whole family, I think is so important. 
Yeah, I did. Uh, when I was I was researching this a bit today, and I I did rec- see that there. Yeah, there's good support for um, yeah family support basically and family intervention. Now, uh, now, do you feel that there is that when a person um, like you mentioned from four years old, would you get? Would you, are you able to give kind of like a a length of time, like how long you would then the this person's decision would gain credibility because i did read some research that said that you know once you have this idea that you that the, there's a difference between your your, your express your natal sex your natal and then what you actually feel like inside at middle school that it usually carries to adulthood so what is your thoughts about how long a period should a person have this, these thoughts and these feelings before then you say, okay, so this is probably something that's going to ex- continue on throughout your, um, to adulthood? Well, we do have a little bit of data on that, and it does show that transgender men know very early on in their transition. They know very early. Some, <coughs> pardon me, I choked on some water. So they know very early on. So I'm going to be much more likely to listen to them than I would a transgender female. Now, most transgender females, I knew when I was about five years old. Most of us knew really early on. However, I had a patient who didn't know until she was 20, and I had another patient that didn't realize until they were 62. So I think that's one factor that needs to be considered. And other factors that need to be considered too as well is have they lived in their assigned gender too? Have they gone to class as their identified gender? How are they accepted by their classmates? So all these things have to factor into it before we make a decision. Because if we don't give that little uh, girl or little guy some support uh, and understand, and that's the other thing too is interfacing with the school system too as well. What is the school system? What does this young person's teachers think about what they're doing? Because they're very dependent on external validation and approval at a very, very young age. And if they just get a bunch of disapproval from their teachers, it's gonna make it very, very difficult for them to as well. So, I mean, what we're talking about for a young person is getting as many supports in place as you can. And we really have to start with the school system too as well and make sure that they have bathroom facilities, which I think they're guaranteed in California, <clears throat> but if you go to an evangelical Christian school in Tennessee, there's, you're going to have to fight for your bathroom gear. It's just not going to happen. So finding the school system, and hopefully they're going to be supportive, is going to be really helpful too. And then, of course, there's that child's but possible religious community. Maybe that child, this is a big cause of really low self-esteem. And suicidal ideations in adolescence is if they're forced to go to a church uh, that doesn't approve of them. And that's when we get into conversion therapy and things that can just be horribly, horribly detrimental. So there's so many different factors that have to go into it. I wish I could give you an algorithm answer, Dr. Parks and Dr. Atkins, but it just lends itself to the particular situation. You know, conversion therapy, we did do an episode on conversion therapy, and um, I want to make a plug for this movie that I started watching called Boy Erased. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Um, It's a really great movie with actually Nicole Kidman and uh, what's that guy from Gladiator? Russell Crowe. Yeah. 
Yeah, they play parents. The Russell Crowe is actually um, a religious leader, uh, I think a Christian religious leader, and their son um, comes out to them as gay, and they send him to get conversion therapy. It's actually based off of a memoir, um, but the depiction of the conversion therapy is really different from what I imagined it to be. It was, you know, what I thought which would be very shaming, but additionally, it was also very supportive in terms of um, kind of giving the sentiment to these individuals participating in therapy of, we love you, we accept you, and it was almost like encouraging to them. It was it was both at the same time, shaming and encouraging. It's very interesting. Yeah, and, and when a little people get mixed messages, that's probably not good. Mm-hmm. Confusing. You know, one of the benefits of having some of these procedures like um, puberty suppression or um, cross-sex hormone therapy, you know, earlier rather than later is that it, might head off gender dysphoria, which causes a lot of psychological problems. That's, you know, one, you know, hypothesis about what's going on. What is your feelings about that, that, you know, if we can do some of this early intervention, you can head off a lot of, you know, psychological impact. I mean, I, I've just looking at the raw statistics, you know, I, I'm a college uh, student counselor. So I, I, when I see the, the statistics, trans folks, have some more serious they come in with a more serious presentation and is, is that because of you know how they've been treated and, and maybe they weren't accepted early on is that possible oh, of course absolutely that's that's typically what we see in situations like that too as well um, you know uh, hormones ha- are a double-edged sword um, my estrogen was the best thing that ever happened to me because it allowed me to experience 10 different emotions at one time and five different thoughts at one time instead of one emotion at one time and one thought at one time. And wow, did I get a lot wiser a lot more quickly. I had no idea. Now that's a good thing. This gives me this idea. I, I really appreciated that statement, Dr. Woods, and, and, and this reminds me of, so I went to a trans conference a few years ago um, at Brown where someone had mentioned there was a speaker um, who said, I quote, ladies, until you get your first dose of testosterone, you have no idea how well-behaved men are. And that gave me a funny statement, but this is the second statement I've heard of getting cross-sex hormones where it's, where it's like you realize that you think a different way and there's just a fascinate, like for me that this brings about a fascination with like, I want to hear all of the things that I, first of all, it makes me, I mean, this is ridiculous, right? But it, it, I wish I could be in some alternate universe where I could also experience cross-sex hormones, but, but also um, it makes me want to like, gather a, a a journal of all of the people who've experienced cross-sex hormones and their um you know the, all of their their experiences and put it into like a little quote book or something that maybe would would help us learn about hormones and pathways and and human experiences well if you've got eight hours i can tell you about the differences uh but i'll suffice it to say for the terms of the podcast that i have become the best couples therapist of all mm. uh, because I know exactly what she's thinking. 
feeling. And <laughs> that's I know exactly what he's thinking and not feeling. And I'm a conduit. I'm telling you, I'm, look, that is just the thing. But, you know, it's, it's, what I was going to say too, Dr. Atkins, is that, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's good to go to 25 thoughts at one time. But that also means that you are on an emotional roller coaster too as well. So it's not just enough, Dr. Parks, to have these hormones on board. You need a big sister or a mama if you're a trans girl to help guide you through this process because you're going to wake up. You're just not going to know what's going on because you might go to sleep one night and you might have butterflies and bunny rabbits in your dreams and everything. You're going to wake up sour and you're going to be mean. And you don't, you're, going to, you're not going to know why you feel that oh, way. And you don't have any idea what, what, I have no idea what Jamie's going to wake up every morning. Now that I'm starting to get out of puberty, it's kind of a little bit more steady. But gosh, it's such an emotional roller coaster. So the answer is partially in the hormones, but the other answer is how we handle this incredible transition to go from testosterone to estrogen. Because, I mean, you're going from black and white. You're going from Kansas to the Emerald City. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, it's technicolor, and you need a guide to help guide you through that. That's critically important. That's good. That's a good point. If you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR, and we're talking about gender affirmation therapies and surgeries, uh, gender dysphoria with Dr. Jamie Woods, um, our returning guest. Well, uh, I don't want to dominate this discussion. There's so many different kind of issues that I was thinking about and questions that I have, but um, I, may, I, I kind of, I, talk, I talked a little bit about this before we went on air and I was, uh, so I, I've had clients, uh, trans folks that have asked me for my honest opinion about how they look and if they can pass and things like that. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I felt a little bit not qualified, but then I was not sure about what to say. Now it went to thoughts about, and we, we talked a little bit about the, uh, off the air, but please say things that you told me, which is, uh, you know, it went to kind of a discussion about, you know, the value of people's opinions and things like that. But how would you answer that question? What, what is your tips and strategies for that? Well, it really depends on when you ask me that question, Dr. Parks. But yeah, if you ask me that question one month after I transition, I will tell you the passing privilege is the goal of my whole every neuron in my brain and every hormone receptor in my body. And please just let somebody gender me as female. Just please have somebody walk up on me and think I'm cute and ask me out for a date or something like that. So it's incredibly important really, really early on. And it also has important safety implications too as well. <laughs> because it's really, uh, especially in the South, because um, it, you know, well, like I say, the most recent murder was in Whitehaven, my old hometown mm -hmm. of Memphis, Tennessee, just you know, a couple of weeks ago. We've had 34 killed so far this year. And of course, it's especially significant to be talking about this right now since uh, I'm recording this on November 17th and Transgender Day of Remembrance, which is where we call out the names of everybody that's been murdered uh, <clears throat> in the United States, specifically because they were transgender is called out to as well. So I think it's really, really wow. important that we're, you know, having this kind of conversation right now too as well. So I don't know even, I, I got so emotional just talking about transgender. It's always on November 20th of every year. So hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about that before, you know, our podcast is over. This is Trans Awareness Week too as well. Wow, what great timing. I'm so glad that you're on as a guest. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I feel like this is basically the next um, civil rights issue 
Would you would you look at that? Because I know that, you know, it's there's a lot of focus about Black Lives Matter and things like that, which is I'm not diminishing the importance of that. But do, what are your thoughts about that politically? I mean, wasn't it added to the Civil Rights Act <laughs> that, uh, this year that this is now it's now covered under the Civil Rights Act? It's very interesting, Dr. Wynn, too, that the this, that the uh, majority of Denton opinion was actually written by a Trump appointee. So, you know, there is some hope out, out there for us. Yeah, I think the world is definitely changing. And I, the, I, was it Tosha, you mentioned about a trend that there was... Uh... Oh, yeah, in that J.K. Rowling letter, Jake, one of the arguments she made was um, she notices that when an, an individual teenager or adolescent identifies, comes out identifying as trans, um, the circle of friends start to also identify as trans, and she calls it a uh, a trend. It's almost like a trend. Well, it started off as a trickle. <laughs> it's a trend, but for the rest of us, it is a torrent. And I'm sorry, Miss Rowling, it is happening. And you can take your boomer mentality to the grave, dear. That is perfectly okay. Because what Dr. Wynn was talking about is absolutely true. This is happening all over the planet. And the people that are driving that are the people that actually have been given the freedom to actually express these kinds of thoughts. And that's Gen Zs and millennials. And they've, they've been so important to us. They're our most important allies. So as trans people, honestly, we don't really care too much about what boomers think. Because you know what, they're gonna think what they're gonna think. They ain't learned nothing new in 25 years. So I'm not gonna really hang out with those people anyway. I'm gonna hang out with people that see me for me and people that are still living too as well. So there, there is kind of a temptation though, for me at least, I, I do see <laughs> the potential to have the question. I mean, I, I wanna ask you seriously about that question because when I think of teenagers and I think of fads, it's, it's not out of my realm of, of uh, imagination to have there be, like if, there, if I knew a, a really pretty friend of mine who was trans, I could see, oh, hey, well, I want to, you know, I mean, I feel like that's a teenager thing. Does that happen? Um, is, it, is it dangerous to think that way that that's happening? Or is it something that you actually do screen for in your evaluations? Have you ever seen it? It's so important. And I'm so glad you mentioned that, Dr. Atkins. One out of 14 adolescents at some point in their development question their gender identity but one out of 14 adolescents are not transgender so it's very important for everyone to understand are you gender curious or is this you know is this something you're invested in is this something that you're really willing to commit your body to and you have to be very, very sure of what's going forward because these decisions in many cases can be permanent. That's why when I responded to Dr. Park's question of, you know, is there a timeline? And the answer is, it just depends on so many different variables. Yeah, and I think what brings it up is that you, what you're basically reminding us of is it's a hard journey that it's, you know, there. It, the world is changing, but it's changing very slowly. And yeah, it's an uphill battle that if you decide to take, you you have to know that it's not an easy path. Oh, but no. yeah, it's a very difficult path. And forget even the surgery itself or the hormones that you might take, but just the decision to embark on the path, it has a lot of psychological and 
uh, and consequences that we talked about. But I also think, you know, the question of whether teenagers explore and question their environment, like, I... I don't see how that really affects with gender, though. Like, why is it a big deal? I mean, we've all had moments where we question our sexuality when we're a teenager. We question what we want to do in life. And I feel like it's just part of the process we of growing. But we don't make that decision to embark on it if it doesn't fit us. So I don't see it as, like, it's a bad thing to question. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, we should question. If we're not questioning, that means we're brainwashed. And, you know, there's been a lot of that. And we're, your generation's trying to get away from all this brainwashing, whether it's on social media or TikTok or Facebook or whether we see it on television or we hear it from our parents, too, as well. Uh, we're going <clears> to <throat> – but I do want to respond to one thing before we close. Dr. Wynn, yes, it's really hard. And if you look up all the cons – it's going to fill up the entire left-handed side of the page. Mm -hmm. And on the right side, you just have to choose whether you want to live an authentic life or an inauthentic life. Yeah. I think if I decide to make that transition, if I do any kind of research on the internet, I feel it would probably scare me away more than anything else. And I would probably be like, okay, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm actually transgender. So I, it, you have to make that decision consciously. And I think, you know, that decision and all the battles that you will face, the fact that you're willing to face it tells me enough that you probably are serious. You probably do think this, is, this isn't a passing phase for you. Yeah, the old adage of measure twice and cut once definitely holds true here. <laughs> what kind of advice would you give to a teenager out there that is having these thoughts? Uh, what kinds of tips would you, what, where would they start? To... You're not alone. Other people have these thoughts. And I don't care what kind of poor community you are in rural California or wherever our podcast is going to, whether it's Pocahontas, Arkansas, or whether it goes anywhere on the planet, you are not alone. There are other people that know that your thoughts are valid, that your thoughts, <clears throat> there are other people out there that think the way that you think, but we also know that there are gonna be a lot of people that are gonna judge you because of the way that you think, and your road is going to be very, very, very hard, and it's going to be very, very difficult. But on the other side of it is a level of happiness that heretofore you can only dream about but it's going to come at a very high price. So, you know, but the deeper the bowl is carved, as Gibran said, the more joy it can contain. I want to get to another controversial question is, how much should, if we have national health care, how much should we taxpayer money go to transition to gender affirming, gender confirming therapies and surgeries? No more or less than would go over any other condition that deserves treatment. Yeah, and I also with that, I want to point out that the VA, a federal facility, will pay for a transgender reassignment surgery. The VA says that they will do a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is a process. It is, yeah, and there's a lot of bureaucracy involved. But in theory, it's already being funded. Yeah. They fired me <clears throat> after <clears throat> two and a half months, too, as well, because I work oh, for a right. uh, federally funded um, institution in Memphis, Tennessee, and they had to hire me, but they didn't have to keep me. And uh, they got rid of me and another trans girl within a month real quick. 
Speaking on that subject, um, do you guys have any thoughts on Kamala Harris's history of opposing incarcerated trans women's court-ordered surgeries when she was attorney general? I do. And thank you very much, Dr. Yamaguchi, for bringing that up. Um, Ms. Harris was not my first choice uh, as vice presidential candidate, specifically because of that reason. And I hope that she has grown uh, as a result of her expenses. Uh, she is not the same woman now than she was then. And she is standing beside one of the most trans friendly people that she could ever serve with in Joe Biden. When Danica Rome, who's a transgender female, was elected to the Virginia State House of Delegates, the first person that called her was the vice president, the then sitting vice president of the United States. And when he accepted victory, the first sentence almost that came out of his mouth was this is a victory for gays, lesbian, and transgender people too as well. So while I am worried about Dr. Harris, I think she's a bright lady. I think she's a wise lady. And I think she's capable of learning from wise people around her. And I wish her all the best. And I know she'll make the right decisions going forward. Just just for the record, I did read a little bit about her um, being interviewed on this. And she said later on that she um, regrets the decision and that she felt that she was answering, representing people that had different views of her, of her own. You know, being a woman in that position and being a woman of color in that position, she's subject to different stresses that I am not subject to. So I'm not going to sit there and judge her based on what other factors entered into that decision. She has to answer for that decision herself. And I think she has, and I think she's grown from it. And I think, and I hope that if she were faced with that decision now, that she would have a different perspective on it. Is there, what would you give as far as advice to clinicians, if there's one thing that we can do to, uh, you know, grow as human beings, to, uh, you know, help with the movement and, and help with uh, educating folks, what, what kind of uh, advice would you give clinicians? Meet somebody that's transgender. We don't bite unless you want to bite, but that's after midnight usually. We're, we're, we're the people that fly you on airplanes. We're the people that preach the gospel to you. We're the people that do your gender reassignment surgery. We're the people that can push your unwanted emotions out to arm's length with SSRIs. We have the ability to do a lot of things. And if you get to know us, I think you're going to like us. Do we have issues? Well, most trans girls have a little bit of drama in their life. We're still kind of acclimating to estrogen. So, but we're pretty awesome people. You know, we're very, very courageous and we're highly resilient too as well. And we just want our share. That's all we want. It's just our little piece of the puzzle and just try to correct some of the horrific disparities in access to health care or legal protection or employment that our cisgendered brothers and sisters enjoy every day. And that will do it. Thank you, Dr. Jamie Woods. That's all that we have time for tonight on Let's Get Psych. We discussed gender dysphoria, uh, gender affirming therapies and strategies uh, and, and, and surgeries. Thank you to our co-hosts, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi, Dr. DM Nguyen, Dr. Edgar Ortega, and Dr. Alan Atkins. If you have comments, suggestions, or questions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucrgmail.com. That's getpsychedonkucrgmail.com. You can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. This episode was recorded in each of our respective homes and then mixed by our producer at KUCR, Elliot Fong. So special thanks go out to him. 
I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.